Hello, my name is Finn Dingle. I'm in the seventh grade and I go to SSAS, Sarasota School of Arts and Sciences. Our scripture passage from the, for today comes from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with the 27th verse. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up the children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married the woman and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so, in same, so all in the same way, the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection for the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God being the children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. This is the word of the Lord. Open our hearts and minds, O God, to the word just read, and the words to come, that they might point to you, the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. One of the joys of being a pastor is getting to officiate at weddings. I have even picked up some tips on how to be the mother of the bride, which should be helpful as three of our daughters are yet to be married. These days, most brides and grooms write their own vows. They come from this basic framework of traditional vows and they go something like this. I asked the bride, do you take Matt to be your husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, until death do you part? And so far, I don't want to brag, but I'm batting a thousand. All of the grooms and brides have said, I do. You know, the origin of that phrase, till death do us part, is distinctly Christian, dating back to 1549, where it is found in the Book of Common Prayer. I know that it's speaking to the commitment couples are making to love and honor one another all the days of their lives. But it's interesting to me how it speaks into our scripture passage for today and even into our understanding of everlasting life. Our passage opens up with a question from the Sadducees, who were a smaller Jewish sect than the Pharisees. But the Sadducees held all the wealth and the power. They were the religious conservatives who didn't believe in an afterlife, which helps to explain their collusion with the Roman oppressors. YOLO, you only live once, so use, abuse, do whatever it takes to maintain your place in society because this is all there is. You know, the only this is the only place in the Gospel of Luke where the Sadducees are mentioned, and they take part in this effort of trying to trap Jesus. After Jesus had cleansed the temple in Luke 19, we read, 
From that point on, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. So as Jesus taught in the temple, various groups would try to trap him with questions about his authority, about paying taxes, and now about the resurrection. In Sunday school, Mrs. Hikins taught us a phrase to help us remember the Sadducees and how they differed from the Pharisees. She would say, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. It does kind of stick with you, just going to say. <laughs> Knowing this background about the Sadducees helps us to see the motive behind their question. They aren't curious or trying to expand their worldview. There is no spirit of inquiry or desire to learn. Their only goal was to set up Jesus for embarrassment or to discredit his teaching since any attempt to answer that question at face value would reveal the absolute ridiculousness of belief in an embodied resurrection. And it all has to do with marriage and death and remarriage till death do us part. Marriage in the Bible is not based on any kind of notion that we have of marriage today, where one can marry her soulmate and best friend. Even this sometimes happens after she's dated several guys. How else would she be able to weed out the prince from the frogs? It reminds me of the connection that John and Anne Klein made over 47 years ago when they were married, a choice they made a little later in life. Anne has battled Alzheimer's for 19 years and finally had to be placed in a nursing home in 2019. In keeping his vow, till death do us part, John visited her every single day, that is, until the lockdown of COVID. He was panicked because he didn't want her to forget him. It was very important for him to be with her every day singing songs that they loved so they could keep their connection strong and so she would remember him. With the help of the facility administrator, John came up with a novel idea to get around the social distancing guidelines. He stood outside at the window of his wife's room and through the screen, they sang songs together. Let's sing Jesus Loves Me, John would say to Anne, who was sitting in a wheelchair across the room. Anne had a slight smile of recognition as her husband sang to her. They are both in their 80s, and during COVID, this loyal and devoted spouse never missed a day at the window. Marriages in first century Palestine were more along the lines of young girls being given to men to procreate. The young women were property to be owned, not individuals to be in partnership with or to be in love with. The specific scenario the Sadducees raised involved leveret marriage, described in the book of Deuteronomy in which the brother of a deceased man is to marry his brother's widow in order to produce a child who will perpetuate his brother's name. This mosaic law also provided a bit of security for the widow who had no safety net for survival in that culture outside of her husband or a son. The Sadducees wanted to make resurrection look foolish 
by showing the impracticality of what, do, what to do with people who had been married more than one time, rather than walking away or taking the bait and attacking back. Jesus challenged their premise that marriage as we now know it would have anything to do with life in the kingdom of God as we would later experience it. Essentially, Jesus said, whoever told you that marriage would be part of the life in a post-resurrection existence? Can you imagine the relief of women who are part of a physically emotionally or sexually abusive marriage. Welcome to heaven, where you get to be married to that creep for all of eternity. Fortunately, it's not like that. This passage does make me wonder about the resurrection. We say in the, in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body but it doesn't tell us what that resurrection looks like or what that resurrection life will be like. Is Jesus saying we won't know our spouse, friends, and family members that we love? I learned that this scripture passage in Luke and the equivalent passages in Matthew and Mark are the only discussion of resurrection in the Gospels. So honestly, we don't really know. Even though this passage doesn't paint a vivid picture, it does insist that resurrection life is qualitatively different from life as we know it. The ordinary events and relationships by which we track our journey through this mortal life, like marriage, childbirth, graduations, and retirements, do not characterize our eternal lives because resurrection life is not merely an extension but something entirely different. Jesus does not say that we will not know those who have been dear to us, only that resurrection life will not be marked by the same features as this one. Indeed, given his statement from the scripture passage about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it seems that the relationships defining our current life may persist certainly with God, and likely with each other. So even though death may part us for a season, I have this inkling that we will be known and loved by our people who have loved us well and by our God. Which brings me to that important five-letter word, trust. Can we trust the very character of God who has been creating and breathing new life into dead places for all of history? Can we lean into the mystery and trust in the goodness of a God who loves us, a God who puts people in our lives to enliven, to heal, and to encourage us along our journey? Some of those people are with us now, and some we can only remember as they have become one of the saints in heaven. And because today is All Saints Sunday, we are going to have the opportunity to remember. Saints aren't a special category of larger-than-life people who happen to be the opposite of sinners. In our tradition, saints are just regular salt-of-the-earth people, sinners like you and like me, 
who happen to be forgiven, who happen to be in the loving arms of our living God. Do you remember that lovely quote by Flavia Whedon? Some people come into our lives and quickly go. Some people stay for a while and move our souls to dance. They awaken us to a new understanding with the passing whisper of their wisdom. Some people make the sky more beautiful to gaze upon. They stay in our lives for a while, leave footprints on our hearts, and we are never, ever the same. So we have a day set aside each year to remember the saints who have left footprints on our hearts. We have a day set aside each year to honor our dead, to honor our grief, and to celebrate their memories and how they have helped to shape us who we are and who we are still becoming. In her book, The Cup of Life, Joyce Rupp wrote, Memory can bless or haunt us, depending on what stirs inside our mind and how we receive and live with it. Be the gatekeeper of these memories. Catch the ones that draw forth and enhance your core goodness. Savor them. Let these blessed memories fill you with hope. I'd like to ask Justin to come out so he's ready to play a song that he will be singing as we light candles to remember our loved ones. For this time, I want to invite each of you to think of a cherished memory of someone who has passed away, but has also passed through your life in a positive way. If a harsh memory happens to come first, acknowledge its presence and release it. There may be an opportunity for healing in that memory, but perhaps now is not that moment. Because today, today is a day to cherish the lives that have led us to a greater sense of well-being. The lives that have brought more spaciousness, more generosity, patience, courage, humility, wisdom, compassion, peace, clarity, or contentment in your life. When that person, that memory, enters into your awareness, please come forward to light a candle. Friends, embrace, savor, and embody the memory of your beloveds. The candle you light shines for your loved one and continues to shine through you.